you know, even if we come back around, we do something that we've always done, we should really try and rediscover it, reimagine it. In other words, continue to explore and experiment and try different things to see what lights you up, what lights your audience up. Um, and don't be afraid to try something that's out of your comfort zone because that's where it seems like the magic happens. I was born with several falls. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. If this is your first time listening, welcome. My name is Heather Parody, and I am your host. And listen, this may be one of my very favorite episodes to date that we have done. So honored to connect with Brian Elliott from Behind the Brand. Brian is a writer, director, producer, journalist, and has this amazing show on YouTube, Behind the Brand. Check out the show notes there, where he has interviewed leaders like Dr. Phil, Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, some of the sharks on Shark Tank. He is putting out some incredible work, and we hear about his journey building his business and this show. And we also talk about one year ago when he shared with Seth Godin and his YouTube community about a very personal story and what it means to be an influencer and leader in this space and also be authentic and real and transparent with your audience. This is such an incredible episode and I cannot wait to share it with you. But before we get started, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please look down at your phone unless you're driving and hit that subscribe button. And if you have listened to two, three, four episodes and have gotten any value, please consider taking a second and leaving us an honest review. All right, let's go ahead and get into this interview with Brian Elliott. Uh, I was I was at Universal Pictures Home Entertainment Division. Um, in in that company, there's basically three divisions. There's the theme park people that run all the rides. I was not part of that. Then there's the theatrical division that uh, was responsible really for getting people to go out and see the movies. Uh, and and I was in the home entertainment side, which really was on the video on demand, DVD sales um, and marketing team, which really made all the money back from the studio. So we were, we were definitely the good guys. We were the cash cow for the studio, making all that money back after they spent it on theatrical. And whatnot. So it was fun times. Um, I had the studio's money to spend, you know, I had a budget like $40 million a year and it was just crazy. We were, you know, at the time there's a new show called Survivor on, right? Oh Yeah. And we were buying, you know, upfront TV on some of the biggest networks on primetime, doing outdoor billboard campaigns, radio, internet, anything you could do with, with advertising dollars and PR dollars we were doing. So it was tons of fun, but I also had a chance to walk the red carpet with movie stars. And, um, and then I got my chance to go kind of behind the camera a little bit and get a taste of production. And that's where I really got the bug to want to do my own thing. Uh, and it's inevitably what landed me here and what I'm doing now in production. 
it seems like almost like an ideal job. I mean, the scenario that you were just painting for me just seems like a dream. And yet there was something else that was kind of pulling at you to take a huge risk because correct me if I'm wrong, you were married and did you have kids at the time as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. We had, at the time we had three young kids. Um, and I loved my job. Uh, I look back on those times with really great memories. I learned a ton. Um, but there, there were some things that I wanted to do differently. You know, um, part of the challenge in working for someone else, right, is I just sort of live by their rules and under their parameters. There's a whole corporate culture. And, and actually, it was pretty healthy, dynamic, fun culture there. Um, but I, I wanted to do more. And so I kind of felt like I had done some really great things there. Um, I had learned kind of everything that I was going to learn. And then I was sort of on like um, – wash, rinse, repeat mode. And I was like, you know, I've, I've kind of, I've done this, right? And, and I don't want to keep doing the same thing. I can kind of foresee the future. And I was like, I don't want to do this for the next 20, 30 years. It's like, I, I want to do something different. And I certainly got um, the inspiration to do production. So I want to create original content, stuff that I thought up or my clients thought up. And, and that's what, you know, inspired me to cut the cord. Yeah. How did you manage just kind of the weight of responsibility around that? Because I know a lot of our listeners and my husband and I, we can attest to that too. We have small children and there's kind of like this pull between responsibility and no risk versus also to honoring that tug on your heart and what I believe is a calling on your life. And so how did, how did you navigate that and ultimately make the decision that was right for you? Well, it certainly didn't happen overnight. It was a slow process. And it's funny, I had this conversation with my daughter just the other day. She said, man, dad, you know, you, you must really love risk. <laughs> all the things you've done, you know, you're, you know, you just put yourself out there, you just go for it. And I said, it's funny you say that because actually I don't love risk. And I can't speak for all entrepreneurs, but like for me, I'm trying to mitigate risk on all levels, right? So I tried to explain to her that, you know, yeah, you can try and make a giant leap. The problem with that is um, you may not get a second shot, right? So one of my mentors and friends, Seth Godin, taught me the person who fails the most wins. Yeah. But built into that notion is the fact that um, when we fail, we can come back and, and fight another day. The people who really lose are those who, you know, jump out of the airplane without the parachute, right? And then yeah. you don't get a shot at that. Uh, or they never try at all. They stay small and they're hiding and they don't try. The idea behind fail fast and succeed is eventually you are going to figure it out, right? Right. So by mitigating risk, by being strategic, by making smart choices, what you're doing is really you're, you're narrowing that gap, that chasm, so that it's more of a hop and not a giant leap possibly to your death. Right. And so that's what I'm all about. Like I would much rather make those kinds of choices. And it's all about risk benefit. Like does the benefit outweigh the risk? If it does, it's a no brainer. Yeah. But if it's flipped, I can't do it because I want to come back and fight another day. hundred percent. Now you mentioned Seth Godin. That's actually how I came across your work. I, the first video I watched of yours was the advice that changed my life, which I'm going to link that in the show notes. I need everybody to just stop what they're doing and go watch that. It was such a powerful video. And the thing you mentioned in that was that idea that you just brought up of persistence and just not giving up and holding in. And, 
you know, it sounds really glamorous starting your own thing and going after it. But the reality is there is, it's a marathon and it takes quite a bit of time before you start seeing traction. And you even mentioned that in the video. How did you stay course and keep mentally in the game those first few years, I'm sure, where it wasn't as fruitful as you would hope it had been? It was really hard. Um, and it's, it's funny because, you know, the show that I produce, I get to rub elbows with some really amazing people. And selfishly, the idea is my hope that some of their fairy dust will rub off on me, that that I can implement some of their wisdom. And, and so I can't help thinking about all these little lessons I've learned from all the people. You know, another thing that Seth told me was the riskiest thing you can do is play it safe. Mm. And the idea with that is, is, you know, if you, if I would have just stayed at universal, uh, maybe I could have kept kind of on cruise control and, and just played it out and see what happens. And I know some people who are still there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm sure they're happy. It just, I couldn't see it making me happy. And so I, you know, there was really kind of no option in my emotional mind to stay. Like I needed to do something more uh, to grow. And, um, and, but that was not, definitely not easy. Um, well, it, it, was, it was easier for me than for my family. So my biggest, yeah. you call it regret, um, it's that I sort of took my family on this roller coaster ride that they didn't sign up for. Um, I'm very much an optimist, um, sometimes, you know, over optimistic. I don't know. Um, my wife is definitely a realist, you know. And when I told her what I was going to do, she said, You are crazy. Like, sh show me the plan. Like, um, she does not like risk, she likes things to be, um, you know, accounted for and you can bank on it and like we can schedule things and I don't like surprises. She's that kind of person. And so to tell her that I'm starting a new company, she's like, great. Well, do we have guaranteed income? No, <laughs> but I just feel it. She's like, well, having a feeling is not a plan. That was, that was really difficult. Um, and I credit her for, you know, really having faith in me, but it was a roller coaster ride and it was difficult for everyone. Um, I would say more so for my family than for me, because I'm willing to just grind it out. I, you know, I'll eat top ramen. I don't care. I, you know, I'll live out of a box. I'll sleep in my car. Like I'll do whatever it takes. Um, but they had to come along with me on that ride. And that was difficult for them. How did you manage your family work time? Because not only do you have this production company, but you know, we've, we've mentioned this briefly as you started this incredible interview series on YouTube, which I know takes a lot of time, especially it's just well-produced and you're connecting with incredible people. What was your balance like, especially at the beginning of handling all of that? I would say that's something I still do really poorly. <laughs> I don't think I have a balance. Um, there's such a blurry line between my personal and professional life. It's like I'm very opportunistic. So some things are, are disciplined and regimented and scheduled, but most everything else is not. It's like finding time um, when I have time. So, you know, I might uh, be able to take a break in the middle of the day to go shoot hoops with my son or go to his football games, you know, at six o'clock in the evening. And then I might have a shoot a couple of hours later that mm -hmm. I'm gone for four hours. So it's a very unstructured lifestyle. And um, that was another tough thing for everyone to sort of get used to. Um, 
but again, you know, they've been terrific and super supportive and we've just sort of, you know, after 10 plus years, we're, we're all kind of used to it now. Um, and we're just still kind of figuring it out. Yeah. Share with us a little bit about behind the brand and, you know, you said you created it just really from your own need of knowing how to make something successful and what it, what it meant to step into greatness. Can you share with us a little bit about your idea for this and where it's gone from here? Yeah. So I started my company probably arguably at the absolute worst time in history, at least in, you know, of, of this century. Um, everyone compares the great recession to the crash in the 1920s. That's what 2008 looked like for, for me, like everything that I had lined up and planned um, for this new startup just fell through. Uh, it was a very scary time. And all of my friends were losing their job if they were employed by someone else. I had luckily, I, you know, I had no idea. It was just good timing or bad timing, whatever, however you want to look at it. I quit a perfectly good job on my own and, and found myself sort of now in this perfect storm um, and had to react to it. So I sort of went back, you know, I'm a marketer and a strategy guy at, at my roots. And so I sort of went back into that mode and I thought, okay, how do I solve my own problem? Hmm. What do I need? Okay. I'm, I'm now disconnected from everything I used to have, you know, people, information, resources, capital, um, et cetera. How, how do I go get that again? How do I get reconnected? And so I thought, well, one way is to reach out to people who I know have been there and done that, have weathered storms before, have been successful despite adversity and setbacks. And so I started reaching out to people I thought knew what they were talking about to get the answers. And I very selfishly <laughs> was trying to do it to figure things out for myself, but also I knew um, a little bit about building audiences and I, I kind of assumed that what I wanted to know was also what my audience wanted to know. Right. It, it worked out that way. Um, and so it started to get traction slowly, you know, for a good year, no one cared. No That's one. Real. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a question I ask my guests almost every time, which is how long you give this great idea before you cut bait. Mm. How do you know when to quit, when to pivot? you know, when to keep going, push through. Uh, so luckily, I put, kept pushing through. I, I kind of had no other options, to be honest. Um, so I just kept grinding it out. And eventually, kind of, you know, back to what Seth said, eventually you're going to figure this thing out. I did. Uh, fortunately, I didn't run out, of, run out of money or run out of energy or, or all that. And, uh, and here we are a decade later, and we've done some cool things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I, you know, as a content creator and as someone who consumes your content that I can really appreciate is you are a great interviewer. And I didn't realize what a skill that was until I started getting into it and realized, wow, this is something that you really have to develop. Is this something that comes natural for you or do you just have some basic tips? Because we have a lot of podcast hosts who listen to the show as well. And you're really able to tune into you know, the person you're interviewing and ask just really great questions. So where did that come from? Well, that's so nice. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I think, you know, I've watched a lot of great interviewers too, and I have a lot of respect for these men and women that I watch and, you know, get inspired by. And there's lots of them, too many to name. Um, 
The one thing that I've been trying to do differently, let's, let's compare myself to Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy is terrific. And he's so funny and so talented on many levels. But when I watch Jimmy interview people on The Tonight Show, it's all about Jimmy, which is probably why everyone watches The Tonight Show, right? It's, you know, he's hilarious. And, you know, he's a very gracious host um, and generous, but it's still The Jimmy Fallon Show, right? So by comparison, I try and flip the script on that idea. I really want to put a spotlight on my guest Hmm. and make it so conversational. Like I want to, I want to get personal. I want to ask questions that they don't typically get asked, I think, or, you know, I watch a few other interviews that they do and I try and go off the beaten path a little bit, almost like it's just a couple of friends talking and no one else is there. So I try to make it personal. I try to make it, um, I try to connect with them on some level of their interest or their passion. Uh, And then I try to make it all about them. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break so I can share with you about Help One Now. You may remember back in episode 52, I interviewed Chris Marlowe, their founder, and I'm super excited to get behind their work this year. And I want to invite you to join me. Help One Now has a program called Family Empowerment where they go into impoverished areas in Ethiopia and help families start their own businesses. How cool is that? You and I know the power of entrepreneurship and small business and that it has the potential to change the course of people's lives. And this program has a 95% success rate and can help families increase their income by 500%. And this show is all about making an impact. So I thought it would be so cool for this year while you and I work to grow our own businesses, we also help these families grow theirs. You can go over to heatherparity.com forward slash help one now or click the link in the show notes to find out more information. All right, back to the interview. Now, on the last half of our interview, I could probably sit here and talk to you for four hours about just that right there. It's a fascinating topic to me. But again, consuming your content, another key component that drew me to it was the openness in your own story and sharing that. I have made so many people watch that video of you and Seth Godin just because I thought there was so much power in that. And as this show is for leaders, people who want to create something with the intention of making an impact in this world. And a lot of that requires this level of vulnerability and openness with our stories and whatever that may be, but it's really difficult. It's really difficult opening that sometimes. You've done it very well. And I just wanted to know what made you decide to kind of publicly come out with your story and you started a documentary or you're filming a documentary right now about your life. What was the process with that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, It's a, you know, so I'm adopted. This This was the kind of, truth bomb I dropped, if you want to call it that. Um, it, I'm, I'm, again, you know, going back to my interview style, I am, um, I do get personal, so I don't mind sharing personal things with my guests, but I've never really shared that side of me in that way before. And, um, and I was, I had no actual plans to do that. I sort of, I get this feeling in my gut, right? Like, it's a gut feeling like this is the right thing to do. And hmm. 
for me, the signal is when I feel like throwing up, <laughs> um, it's usually a signal that I'm afraid and that it's a really good idea. Despite wow. And so that's sort of like my spidey sense. Like if I'm feeling fearful, if I want to, it's like fight or flight, right? If I feel like I want to fly away, run away, then I need to do the opposite. I need to run towards that and do it. And mm. so that, that night was a really special night because I was hosting Seth in a private event. There was like, you know, a few hundred people there. Um, we were at the conclusion of that. And the, from the time we started rolling the cameras like a few hours earlier and he was talking, I got that feeling in my gut. And I was like, oh no, this isn't good. <laughs> and uh, I literally wanted to throw up the whole time because I was just sick knowing that I needed to do it. And um, so then, you know, the last eight or nine minutes, that's, that's that clip that you're seeing is literally the last eight or nine minutes. And I decided to, to tell Seth because I, I'd wanted to tell him for so long. Um, and it was so important to me, such a, an impactful thing in my life. I felt like maybe there were some other people that needed to hear the same kind of message. And so it was worth me, you know, getting physically sick <laughs> or, you know, kind of exposing uh, my heart a little bit to share that with someone else in hopes that maybe it would help someone else. Um, and fortunately the response has been incredible. Uh, the number of emails, I mean, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of private emails um, of people who have watched that. I mean, it's, it was about a year ago this week that I, I posted it for the first time. And, you know, it's, it's in the hundreds of thousands. It may get to a million views. That would be awesome. Um, but the personal messages have been the most meaningful from people all over the world. Um, I'll give you an example. So a, a man emailed me and said, can we just have a quick call? Hmm. I need to talk to you about this. And I said, sure, you know, let's schedule a call. So we scheduled a call and he, he calls me up and he says, um, so I'm a dad and my wife and I adopted our daughter 20 years ago. So she's 20 years old now. And she doesn't know she's adopted. And I was like, whoa, okay. I have two questions for you. First question is, should I tell her? The second question is, um, how do I do it without breaking her heart? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, keep in mind, this is the opinion of one person. Your mileage may vary, but here's my humble opinion. I said, she's absolutely old enough to know, and she has the right to know, and you should tell her. The bad news is you're probably way past the point of no return on breaking her heart. Um, you need to be prepared that this could destroy your relationship, that the secret that you've kept is as well intended, I'm sure as it was, um, could be seen as a huge betrayal and she's going to be confused and hurt and possibly angry. Uh, and you might lose her. So you need to consider kind of the worst case scenario here. I said, but if it were me, you know, if, if I was the child, I would certainly want to know. But if I were you as the father in that position, I would also want the opportunity to tell her from my heart, to tell her why I did it. Because I'm sure there's a good reason. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't probe, you know, I didn't ask him, but I said, you know, perhaps you were fleeing a, a foreign country 
or perhaps you were scared or there was other circumstances around her birth parents that you didn't want to tell her. You're probably protecting her. So whatever the reason, wouldn't you rather have it be from your mouth than if she like takes some random DNA tests sometime later in her life and finds out she's not yours? And then what? Consider the other side if you don't tell her. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, all these questions, you know, birth mothers reaching out saying, I had a woman so sweet. And she said, uh, I, I just want to tell you from all the birth mothers out there, I'm sorry. I was like, oh man, you're killing me. Like, you don't need to apologize. She said, no, I do. Like, not everyone has the same feelings. And I said, you know, I, I so much appreciate that. And we kind of talked about how I've been processing information and, you know, over the years thinking about all the things that, you know, my birth mother has probably gone through, including, you know, she was 17 when she had me. I'm sure she was pressured either by her parents or by uh, religion or society at the time, you know, it wasn't so popular to have a child and not be married. Yeah. All of those things when I was born. And so, definitely um she's hurting you know and she she needs help um of course i was angry and 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 hurt at first but then really that emotions turned into more like i feel so sorry that she's still carrying around pain and probably shame yeah so anyway just all all of those emails and messages led me to sort of see this signal that there's a need out there from the triad, right? The birth parents, adoptees, and adopted parents. Because adoptive parents are struggling too, right? Like uh, infertility is a really, uh, it's, it's on the rise. It's never been higher. And a lot of couples struggle with it. And the, you know, the pain is real there too. If you've dreamed about becoming a parent and you can't conceive, uh, it's a really, really tough thing. And so uh, for that reason, I decided, okay, this is a signal that kind of a project I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, it's ready to, to, to get made and that's a documentary film. Uh, and the idea is to create this mosaic of stories. It's sort of like a what to expect when you're expecting version for adoption and foster care mm. um, with the idea of educating people. Um, you know, if someone would have given me a heads up, like, Hey Brian, when you're going to search for your birth parents, it may not turn out, like, you know, some of these stories you see on Oprah or Hallmark Channel where families are reuniting and there's hugs and kisses. It may not go that way. It may go off the, off the rails or something. Yeah. Just be aware of that. Um, just a simple heads up would have really helped me navigate the waters much better. And so that's kind of what it is on all fronts. It's like it's talking to birth parents about how to uh, reconcile and process and cope as well as adopted parents and adoptees. Um, one of the staggering statistics I've found is that adoptees are over 10 times more likely to fall into addictive behaviors, including suicide. And, uh, you know, you can become addicted to a lot of things, drugs and alcohol, pornography, you know, but you it also include like food addictions and even, you know, Subtle things like escaping into, you know, your job or, and so I, I'm just curious, you know, of the 
100,000 children that are adopted in the United States every year, um, how many of them know that they should probably be careful of that sort of addictive behavior so that they don't fall into the trap? You know, how many parents know this? And so it's, you know, it's part of the documentary to sort of educate um, and give parents a heads up. Man, that's powerful. Where can we find out more information about that documentary? Yeah, so you can go to my YouTube channel right now, which is youtube.com forward slash behind the brand. Um, I'm also going to be posting uh, more information on my Instagram page and Twitter feed and all that. But um, yeah, it's, we're in production right now. We're interviewing, you know, people. We're also interviewing experts, psychologists, mm-hmm. people who've written books on this. Um, I was recently in Mountain View, California with Ann Wajiki, who's the founder of 23andMe, the DNA uh, technology company. And that was interesting to get her personal take on what she's doing to sort of connect us to our own you know, personal genome and blueprint, which is you know, our DNA, uh, and also the implications for those who, like me, have never had access to their personal medical records. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a big project, um, but it's exciting because I think it's, it's something that matters a lot um, and it seems to be resonating with a few people. So that's good. hundred percent. Now I'm going to link all of that in the show notes as well as everything else you're up to and the video that we've alluded to a few times. I just want to thank you so much for being an incredible example from a content creator's perspective of vulnerability and really putting out good work into the world and not just how-to information, which is great. And I think a lot of times we start off thinking that's what we really want and need and then end up realizing that some of this deeper work that you're addressing is the stuff that really moves us towards action and changes our lives. And my final question is kind of wrapped around that. Um, I think there's this hesitancy for those of us who are building platforms and brands, this weird balance of what would happen? What would it look like for me to show up more authentically? And I'm not saying necessarily to share your life story or things you're not ready to share by any means, but just this hesitancy to kind of lay down the polished mask and just let ourselves be seen for who we are. Um, What is it like on the other side of that for someone who has and someone who's kind of opened up and shared who they were and shared very personal things? What do you know now? What do you understand now that you didn't a year ago before you did this? Well, let me say, I still fear, feel very guarded with a lot of my you know, personal life. Um, that said, there's a huge weight lifted because um, I was so scared to share um, some of these, what I felt were really personal details, but um, it's been a huge weight lifted to, to open up. And, you know, the irony is that there's so many people in the same boat, right? I mean, we, we all have our stuff. We all have our challenges, adversity, everyone. No one's exempt from it, right? Um, and as we, as we open up and share, I think it allows us to really connect on a deeper level. And especially if you're a content creator, you know, like my channel, you come to Behind the Brand, you're going to see a very eclectic mix of stuff. Sometimes I'm you know, laughing uncontrollably. Uh, sometimes you'll see me uh, riding a 2,000-pound bull uh, to experiment what that feels like. 
Uh, I'm going to be posting a car video here soon where we test drive a Lamborghini and then, you know, switch gears and I'm being very vulnerable and very serious on a topic. So um, it feels great to share. The other advice I would give to content creators is um, don't be afraid to continue to experiment and explore. Um, I mean, we, we are not one trick ponies, right? Like we are multifaceted. We are different people in front of our friends, in front of our families, our business colleagues. And so I would encourage people to share and experiment. There's a T.S. Eliot quote, no relation to me, but that I, I like, and I've always thought about it's this, um, we must not cease from, from exploration. And the end of all of our exploring will be to end where we first began and to know the place for the very first time. Hmm. You know, even if we come back around, we do something that we've always done, we should really try and rediscover it, reimagine it. In other words, continue to explore and experiment and try different things to see what lights you up, what lights your audience up. Um, and don't be afraid to try something that's out of your comfort zone because that's where it seems like the magic happens. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have not subscribed yet, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And also, if you have a second, leave us a review. Lastly, we have a private Facebook group. If you are looking for a tribe of like-minded leaders who are unconventional in their approach, but dedicated to making an impact, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders, and we will be sure to add you. You guys have a great week.